You're listening to DraftKings Network. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Well, it looks like we have to add a new citizen to the illumination, fellas. Who's that? The host of Saturday Night Live. Did you did you watch on Saturday? Oh, sorry. I must have missed out on SNL because it's not 1987, Tom. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> nice. Nice. Dave Chappelle, welcome to the illumination. What? The David Chappelle? Yeah. I didn't realize it until halfway through the monologue. He's making Illuminati references. Let me pull out an Illuminati membership card, chop a line of cocaine up, and get it right into the He's making references to connecting the lines. Might start connecting some kind of lines. I mean, we always knew he loved basketball in the NBA. I mean, you don't do game blouses the whole segment. I didn't know he was such a huge fan of us because we've been opening third eyes all across the nation. By the way, football Illuminati coming soon. Don't, don't sleep on that one. It feels good, and in some ways also it feels a little empty. And I'll tell you why it feels empty. It feels good because I like that we're converting so many people, celebrities and all types of characters, right? But it also feels empty in the sense that if the majority of people have their third eyes open, what does that make us? It means that we'd have to start a new sub-Illuminati within the Illuminati. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Once something trendy becomes mainstream, it loses its appeal. So maybe we should pump the brakes on being so good at doing this podcast. Yeah, we're getting too big. Damn, why do I have to be so damn charismatic? <laughs> My assignment. Uncover why the association inspires more conspiracy theories in volume and salience than any other U.S. sport. You've heard of the Illuminati. The truth is out there, but so are lies. Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. The NBA has always been controlled by about eight people. Denial is the most predictable of all human responses. If you're only using 10% of your brain, you don't even know that you're using 10% of your brain. The NBA Illuminati. If coincidences are just coincidences, why do they feel so contrived? The Illuminati. But you start to follow the money. And you don't know where the f*** is going to take you. It is unspoken. They have influence among other players. The NBA Illuminati. I don't have time for your convenient ignorance. Maybe I'm a conspiracist now as well. That's all it took. Oh, we got books, we got schools. You saw a video on YouTube. <laughs> Why am I, sir? You've never used them before. We are the basketball Illuminati. <laughs> This is Basketball Illuminati. I am Tom Haberstroh. And as always, I am joined by my five-star generals, the Illumination presidents, Minel Hassan, producer Anthony Mays. Fellas, we are approaching Thanksgiving. We have a lot to be thankful for on this podcast. First and foremost, Brandon Payne is going to join us, a friend of the program. Yeah. He is... Steph Curry's trainer and Steph Curry is lighting it up. He's averaging 31 points. He's shooting 80%. Spoiler alert, Amin's going to drop that stat in the interview. Bang. 80 plus percent at the rim. He's doing things that we've never seen Steph do before and it's going a little under the radar because of that record. But we're going to talk to Brandon Payne of Accelerate Basketball. Steph Curry's trainer here in a little bit. But first... are listening to The Agenda with Tom Haberstroh and Amin El-Hassan. All right, on The Agenda, if you've watched the NBA season this year, you've noticed a lot of sadness out of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. You've seen a lot of losing on the road for Golden State. Mm-hmm. What's Ben Simmons up to? What's he doing? Mm-hmm. A lot of questionable things or things that he's posting, Kyrie Irving on the internet. 
the one thing that I think is the most unique part of this season is the fact that there's so many high scoring nights and appearances. It is really baffling. Stephen Curry is averaging 31.5 points per game and he's tied for fifth yeah. in the NBA scoring leaderboard. That to me is the coolest. I don't know if that's the coolest part. There's a level of Jesus Christ, what's happening when you have, as you said, eight players, eight players averaging 30 plus points per game. Here's the list. Luca, 34.3 and bead 32.3. I think before the weekend he was averaging like 26 yeah. and then he dropped a hundred <laughs> points in the weekend. And now he's at 32.3. Jason Tatum is at 31.9. Donovan Mitchell, 31.6. Steph Curry and Shea Gilgis Alexander at 31.5. Oh, we're not done yet. Giannis and KD are both above that 30 point threshold. And John Morant could be there in a few days and same with Trey Young. So we could have 10 by the week's end. And of course, Joel Embiid over the weekend with 59 points, he had 26 of the team's 27 points in the fourth quarter. He had 10 plus baskets outside of 10 feet, which is the domain of the Steph Curry's of the world. And here you have a seven footer who's dominating from 16 feet away from the basket I mean, do you have any theories as to why we're seeing so many big scoring nights in the league, or at least we're seeing the proliferation of dominant scores, eight 30-point scores, the most we've ever seen in any season in NBA history? Coincidence? Are we allowed to say coincidence? There are no coincidences here. This is the Illuminati, I mean. Oh, that's true, yeah. There's a group of 30-point scores, just coincidence we can't talk about it. <laughs> yeah. What Luca's doing, what Steph is doing, what Giannis is doing, what Durant is doing, to me, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And Jason Tatum as well. Embiid, as we mentioned, the scoring boost over the weekend helped. But I think the other thing that helps Embiid is that now that Harden is out, they have an identity again. They have a system and a style of play, and, and most importantly, a focal point in him they hadn't had in the beginning of the year when it looked like they were trying to marry these two styles rather poorly. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, there's a part of that where I'm like, okay, how much of that is sustainable? On the one hand, on the other hand, he plays for a team that really doesn't have a whole lot of offensive options, so he's going to have every opportunity. And then I guess the last name I would look at and kind of ask the question, hmm, would be Donovan Mitchell, who's off to a great start this year, but... A lot of that also is Darius Garland has missed some time in there. Is this sustainable? Is this going to continue? We've seen Cleveland start to lose some games here recently. So I guess that's a long way for me saying, I don't think we're going to sit here with eight to 10 guys scoring 30 points a game for the entire year. Yeah. And a lot of it is we see early in the season points of emphasis from the referees. There's certain plays that they're going to call a lot in the early going. And then as the season progresses, Christmas comes, we start to see those calls, those whistles go away as we go through the season. And it should be noted that this season, free throws are up from 21.9 per game to 23.4 per game. And you're also seeing three players with double digit free throw attempts per game. And yes, those are 30 point scores. So you look at this year, when Giannis Antetokounmpo is averaging 12 free throws per game, you also see Joel Embiid averaging 11.8. Luka Doncic, who's a point guard, a 6'8 point guard, 11.6 free throws per game, which you rarely see from a 23-year-old. Veterans figure out how to live at the free throw line, not Luka. And referees are having a hand in this, is that they're just getting tons of free throws these days. Referees are having a moment is what's happening. <laughs> So I did some research here mm. and I know it's the agenda. Wait, did you do your own research? You? Fellas, on today's agenda, Tom did his own research. What does that look like? You doing your own research? Are you doing studies yourself? Are you in the lab on a nightly basis? What are you doing? Do your own research. Do your own research. Do your own research. Doing your own research. Doing your own research. I'm not a scientist. I'm not here to tell everyone that this is it. For me, it's just um, just giving everyone a chance to do their own research and find their own knowledge. In 
2012-2013. So LeBron James and the Miami Heat have won their second championship. In that season, do you know how many times we had a 40-plus score through the first 14 games of the season? So at this juncture in the NBA season, in 2012-2013, how many 40-point scoring performances had we had seen at this point? At this point, so we're talking about basically 13 games into the year. I'm going to say five. Okay. I was going to go three. Well, this year there's 22. Okay. So there's 22 40 point games this year. Amin is saying five back in 2013. And Maze is saying three. The answer is three. Keep your third eye open, Maze. Oh, man. Mm. Three. I don't think Maze just had that on his own. I think there's something untoward going on. Yeah. You know, maybe I did some of my own research. Who knows? <laughs> so it was a decade ago. I'm sorry, Tom. We were all distracted by my brilliance, but 22 <laughs> this year and three in 2012? What? What about the year after COVID? 2020, 2021. Because remember, that was a year where all the defense was terrible and we had the best offenses of all time. Do we have a similar amount of 40-point scores in that season? Yeah, we had 20. We saw 20. Through 14 games down. So we broke that record. And actually, I should say, not every team has gone through 14 games at this point. I just use that as the threshold. Mm -hmm. So we might see a couple more here as we fill out that part of the schedule. But 30 point outings this year, we've seen 172. And a decade ago, in that 2012 2013 season, we saw 52. 172 versus 52. And if you go back to 25-point games, we're at 363 already. And in 2013, we saw 162. So what does that mean? It means the people are scoring. It's inflation. Inflation is coming for us in all arenas. Uh, Points just don't mean what they used to, Tom. You know, you go to the grocery store and you try to buy a two and you end up having to buy a three. You can't get the same amount of product for the same amount of money anymore. It's just, there's a wave of three pointers happening, a wave of free throws that the likes we have never seen. And we'll never see a decade ago. There was only a handful of 40 point games and now they're just happening all over the place. What does it all mean? It seems to me that 40 is the new 30. Yeah, I agree. And I think I can explain this pretty easily guys. Yeah. First of all, 30, number three, equilateral triangle, 60, 60, 60, 30, times two, 60. Then how many NBA teams do we have? 30. We have 29, we don't have 31. We have 30 teams. So 30 teams, when multiplied by the cosine of 60 is what? Half. Add that to what you had before. There's your 40. It's all connected. I feel like this is Ian Carmel doing his pretend Kyrie Irving math equation right now. I'm not sure what just happened, Tom. I think we need Amin to show his work. Yeah. Were you just connecting lines there? Do you have a better explanation? Well, maybe. Just theoretically, throwing it out there, players are getting better for longer thanks to medical and sports science and guys like our guest, Brandon Payne, our truth teller. And numerology. You all think I'm late. Well, I'm not late, and I'm going to stay right here and fight for this lost cause, even if this room gets filled with lies like these. And the tailors and all their armies come marching into this place. Somebody will listen to me. There's no better way to overpower a trickle of doubt than with a flood of naked truth. But the complexity and the gray lie not in the truth. But what you do with the truth once you have it. What is true and right is true and right for all. You and I both know that that's just not the truth. You can't handle the truth! It's too messy. It keeps them up nights. I'm here because in the end, the truth is worth the risk. Speak a little truth and people lose their minds. I'm a grown man. You can tell me the truth. Why is it people who want the truth never believe it when they hear it? So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something really outrageous. I'm going to tell the truth. All right. Welcome to the program. Brandon Payne, friend of the show, a truth teller extraordinaire, already part of the illumination. Appreciate you, Brandon, for coming on and joining us today. I appreciate you guys having me. Looking forward to it. So Steph is terrible. The Warriors are terrible. And yeah, 
That's it. That's the NBA season right there. And it's your fault. It is all your fault, Brandon. It's your fault, Brandon. It's all my fault. I figured <laughs> I would get some of the blame. Championship summers are weird. They're different than other summers. And so much of the NBA is not only learning about how to handle the failure, but dealing with success. And, you know, those championship summers and, and how everybody in the, in the organization deals with them can show you what happens to the next season based off of how they dealt with that success in the summer. So I think some of that's coming out right now. Yeah, it also came out in a fist before the season with Draymond and Jordan Poole, but I don't think you can point to that. I've done a couple hits where people are like, well, it's pretty obvious what to blame this malaise to start the season. It's the punch. That was the canary in the coal mine that something wasn't right, that the locker room wasn't right. And I'm just like, man, have you seen this starting five play? Have you seen Steph this year? It might be just that the kids aren't ready yet. And Jordan Poole was struggling. Clay was struggling. I don't know how much it has to do with Draymond Green's punch, but it certainly hasn't had an impact on Steph Curry. No, no. I don't think that punch has had anything to do with anything that's happened. The culture of that that locker room, that organization is so strong that obviously there was probably about a week or 10 days there where it was a little bit uneasy and there had to be some discussions that were had and there had to be some healing and some mending that went on. But they're so strong as a group and it's such a veteran group that they're not going to let something like that, as bad as it looked, they're not going to let something like that really affect what's going on in the court. And, you know, I have actually been out there around them, not specifically just with stuff, but around them some since that. And you don't get that sense at all being around that group that that punch or that anything that happened during training camp has any effect on what's going on right now. Brandon, Steph is, it's kind of crazy to say this. He's having an insane year. No one's talking about it. <laughs> and there's any number of stats you can spit out and say, oh my God, he's doing this. I can't believe it. But I think the most unbelievable thing for me, let me see if you know this off the top of your head. Do you know what he's shooting in the restricted area? I do because I was tipped off to this. He's shooting what, 82%? Is that right? 80, 81%? 81%. Yeah. 81%. First of all, how is that possible? But what kind of things did you guys work on or do you guys work on in finishing? We all know about his shooting drills and, mm -hmm. and he does this and does that. But what do you guys do to work on him for finishing? Well, so when it comes to finishing, there, there's a couple of things we talk about a lot. And, and the biggest thing is, is understanding court geography, what you can and can't do and how to protect the basketball when you leave from certain spots on the floor. So, for instance, when you're driving and, and we get into the paint, you know there's a point on the floor, especially if you're being trailed by somebody bigger that you have to leave the ground with in order to get the ball out in front of your body. If you get too tight to the basket and you have to take the ball straight up above your body, you're probably going to get that shot blocked no matter who's guarding you. But with him, you know, just all the experiences he's had, his ability to control defenders, not only, you know, in terms of creating space for, for shots on the perimeter, but controlling shot blockers around the rim, using his strength to create controllable contact, which is the thing that we talk about making sure that we hit first. If we hit first, we're in control. If we get hit, we're not in control. So creating that controllable contact, understanding the court geography and understanding the launch points and learning how to protect the basketball has a lot to do with that. And people think I'm crazy when I say, he's still getting better. He's still getting stronger. He's still getting faster. Better, stronger, faster. He's still improving. That's not just me. It's not coach speak. It's it's true. You can go back. I actually went back through my Instagram stuff last night, just looking through some things. And I think as, as far back as 2018, we kept hearing Coach Kerr say, well, this is peak Stephen Curry. And you've heard the same thing every year since. Yeah. And it's not going to stop anytime soon because he's learning more. He processes things at such a high level. And his body continues to get better and his skill continues to get better. He's still improving. By way of comparison, by the way, really quick, just for anyone wondering, Jason Tatum is shooting 76%. Nikola Jokic is shooting 75%. Anthony Davis, 73%. Giannis, which is as guaranteed a bucket around the basket as you can get, 76%. A lot of those guys are finishing with dunks, too. Yeah. We do work on a lot of angled finishes. So we, we work on different launch points in terms of we have a set of finishes that we use if you're head up on the rim. So if your head's right down the middle of the basket, we have a set of finishes we use. If your head is between the rim and the corner of the backboard, if you get forced into that portion of the paint, we have a set of finishes we go to there. And then if your head or your shoulder gets forced outside the corner, the lower corner of the backboard, we have a series of finishes we go to there. So understanding the launch point, understanding your angle, your finishing angle, and being able to create controllable contact 
kind of leads to having control of the defenders around you and understanding how to finish it at a pretty high clip. With Steph on the floor this year, the Warriors are plus 77 in plus minus in 449 minutes. That's a plus 6.8 net rating. When he's on the bench, it falls to minus 79, meaning the Warriors are outscored by 79 points in 228 minutes for a net rating of minus 15.9. A lot of that is, you know, he's playing with Kavan, Clay, Draymond, people that he's played with, teammates that he's played with. Yeah. The starting five is like plus 25 per 100 possessions. Plus 79 in 151 minutes, and the next best is plus 54. I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, they have the best plus minus for a starting unit in the NBA. And a lot of that is Steph, of course. But I did notice watching the film, Brandon, on that 81%, he's finishing in traffic a lot. And it's not just like these wide open transition layups. There's a couple plays in the Cleveland game where he's finishing above... Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. Normally you just pull out in that situation. You're just like, yeah, I can't, I'm not going to go shoot over those trees, but he's not only doing it, he's deciding to go into that with confidence. And so it's one thing to study the mechanics or study the angles or study the geography. It's another to like, oh, they're coming and I'm actually going to score here. That seems like a little bit more confidence related almost. There's been a couple of games, that Cleveland game being one of them, where he actually, you know, I saw him get into this takeover mode. And it was, I'm going to get to the basket no matter what. I'm getting to the rim. We need two. I'm going to get it. In the Sacramento game prior to Cleveland, it started with a little floater. He got into the lane hit with his right hand. With Cleveland, it was a really strong left-hand drive where you saw him flip into this mentality of we're going to win tonight and I'm going to do it. And I think that you see that determination in some of his drives. They're very physical drives. And and when I say physical drives, they're physical from the perimeter all the way to the basket. So the physicality starts 25, 26 feet from the basket where, you know, we talk about winning the chest battle. So if I can get my shoulder in the middle of your chest as a defender, I control you. I'm going to win now. I'm getting all the way to the rim because I'm going to force you to open your hips. And I saw some of that come out. But all that's based off the threat of him shooting. So the way people have to come out and defend him on the perimeter, they have to be so tight to take his airspace away so he can't see the rim. Now he just has answers for all that. And it starts with being a physical, determined driver and all the things we just talked about a few minutes ago, learning how to finish around the rim. And I do think that right now his mentality is we need to win. Early in the season, yeah, I understand that. You certainly can't win a top four seed in October and November, but you sure as hell lose one if you lose too many games. And so there was a point where you kind of say, hey, we got to win. And I saw him kind of get into that takeover mode. I saw his demeanor change, his body language change, his communication style changed. It became a very Michael Jordan-like moment to me where he decided to take those games over. So when you look at his two-point field goal percentage. It's at 64%. He's actually making more twos. Went down. (laughs) More twos than threes for the first time in years. And I kind of thought when people expected him to age that that game, that part of his game, getting to the rim would start to decrease and that he would start to rely more on his three-point shot. But the opposite has happened. When you go into these off-season workouts, are you thinking about that? Is like, hey, you're getting older. Your body is going to change. We're going to start to evolve your heat map, so to speak, where you're going to get your shots. Or do you watch these games with as much surprise as we all do about where he's getting his buckets? Oh, no, there's no surprise. (laughs) No, the groundwork for all this late stage career stuff was late in 2011. I mean, everything that we did then up until now has been about extending his effective playing career. And back when we were doing all the neuromuscular and all the processing stuff that we were doing then, and people were looking at us like we were crazy. Yes. The systems within the body were so well-oiled and so well-developed that any sort of physical decline that would occur would be offset by sped up processing mentally. So if you can slow the game down and play the game at a different speed than everybody mentally, you can offset that physical decline. For him, where we've been very fortunate is that he's not even close to a physical decline. He's actually still climbing physically. What do you attribute that to? Because the NBA is getting younger and younger. It doesn't make sense that LeBron and CP and Steph 
can play at this high a level and start getting better at 34, 35 years old? Sports science is incredible now. And how we apply concepts and strength conditioning, how we monitor and manage load. I know everybody gives the NBA a lot of garbage for it, but it is for the really top tier guys. It is having very positive impacts in terms of lengthening their ability to play at a super high level for much longer. But it's again, once you notice it, it's too late. Like once you notice that you've got a little bit of skill slippage, it's too late. It's just getting out in front of it and staying out in front of it. So again, everything we've done from 2011 till now has been about extending this and, and making sure that we had things in place to offset any sort of decline. And for me, it's it's kind of validating because everybody, again, kind of looked at us like we were nuts back then. But right now he's playing at an advanced age and he's kicking everybody's ass. And it's really not even close. I mean, remember when we learned that his neuroprocessing power was so amazing that he can pick out his weight to like the hundredth place or whatever it is? Yeah, to a tenth of a pound. You want to impress me, Steph? Do it in the metric system. <laughs> then I'll be impressed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's your temperature in the Celsius right now? Yeah. I wouldn't put it past them, but I mean, it's just, he's a pro about everything he does too. The one thing that he always talked about, even when we first started, was he talked about watching Dell those last couple of years and all the things that Dell had to do daily just to get ready to play a basketball game and how much of a grind it was those last couple of years and that he didn't want it to be that way, that he wanted to be able to, to stay in his normal routine all the way through his entire career. I think that had a big impact on him. And so it's played a big role in our preparation process for the past decade. And, and the fact that we've been together that long, I see a lot of guys, they change trainers, they bounce from here to here. And for us, you know, we're able to make adjustments, able to make improvements because we know what we've done in the past and we know how those things worked out for us through the season and through the playoffs. So we're able to go look back and say, Hey, you know, I felt like we got a lot of benefit out of this. Maybe we didn't get as much out of that. So let's put more time into the things that do net us a lot of benefit and, and so we're able to make those adjustments from year to year. Brandon, you guys obviously do a lot of cutting edge stuff, stuff that you invented many of these drills, these workouts, even some of the the equipment that you guys use. How much of this is Steph just so uniquely in tune and being able to process all of the stuff you do versus can you replicate this with other top-tier talents? You can replicate it, but it's all based off the learning patterns and the learning behaviors of the players. So what makes Stefan so incredibly special, number one, he's supremely talented as a shooter, as a basketball player. He, he was going to be Stephen Curry whether Brandon Payne came along or not. Right. I just happened to be the guy that was fortunate enough to be there to provide him these tools and provide him a way that maybe we added a few things that, that might not have been there before. But it can be replicated. And I've said this, and I think I've even said this on this program before. The one thing that Stephen Curry does better than anybody else is he asks the best questions. He asks really probing, detailed questions about what we're doing, why we're doing it, what are all the benefits that we're going to get out of it. And I've always been a big proponent of making sure that we do things in our workouts that don't have any singular benefits. So everything has to have multiple layers of benefits for it to be worth our time because we have this... 60 to 90 minute window, four to five days a week to get things done. And we have to make sure that we're getting the absolute most out of every drill that we can. Well, if a player isn't very well educated in all of the processes and all the systems that we're working on, it's hard for them to be extremely detailed in their approach. Stefan has a firm understanding of what we're doing from the ground up, from his toes to his brain and from his brain to his toes. We talk about working the body in both directions. And when you have a player that's that in tune, he's able to approach everything with an incredible level of detail to where you could have two players doing the same drill. He's going to get more out of it just because of his understanding. He understands the postural things we're looking for. He understands the breathing. He understands the processing. He understands what we're looking for from tempo and rhythm and, and mechanics. And that makes for more effective workouts. Hey, Brandon, we got a chance to watch Victor Wembenyama, an alien, play basketball a few months ago on the big Nevada stage. And I know 
you like to take very little credit for Steph's career, but what about Victor? Because he started using tennis balls before the game. And I thought immediately that's Brandon Payne right there. That is, that is Brandon Payne using tennis balls with Steph Curry and that workout with Luca and Jalen green, where it was like, Steph was just running laps around them with those tennis ball drills. And here's Victor Wembanyama, who's seven, nine, 19. No one knows his actual yeah. height. <laughs> and for those who don't know, before the game against the G league, Ignite team. Victor had his back to his trainer and the trainer would toss underhand the tennis ball over Victor's head. And he just had to catch it without even knowing where it was going to be. And then he started juggling two balls and then the trainer would throw another tennis ball in there. And so he's juggling three tennis balls at the same time. And then a chainsaw. (laughs) (laughs) And then it was chainsaws and it was flaming torches. I'm sitting there being like, if you've never seen Steph Curry workout, you must think this is just like a circus act, but what are they doing there? And what did it make you feel when you saw that Yeah, Victor Wimanyama doing? I was really excited, number one, because a, a player of that length needs a lot. There's a lot of communicating going on inside that body and being able to, you know, really efficiently handle all that, the load and the overload that that trainer was giving them was very impressive. And also the the sequencing of what they did and how he did it. I was very impressed by that as well. Cause it did. It started with two balls and he was standing up. He was catching them. They added the third ball. And I don't know if you saw the rest of that sequence where they went from where he was juggling the three balls standing up. Then all of a sudden he started squatting, mm. standing up and squatting. And he was juggling the whole time, which adds another layer of communication. Then they went from squatting to where he started walking. He walked from the baseline, juggling from the baseline to half court and back. And so all of that is you're layering in more information that the body has to handle. It's a very, that was a very well constructed activation process for that young man to go through before the game, because he has a lot of activating to do (laughs) a lot different activating seven, four than six, three. There's more processing, more communication. There's, there's bigger angles, longer angles, longer communication pathways. So, you know, I was very impressed by what they did there. And I was very impressed by him as well. He's something special. The one-legged shots. We're now seeing one-legged shots. Can you explain to me, like, have you ever worked on that with Steph? Yeah. That's a part of what we do. We start at the nail right there at the free throw line. And we call it tripod shooting. And and the tripod refers to big toe, pinky toe, heel, and activating the arch. So what we're actually trying to do there is, is it's a balance drill focused on getting the arch activated so that everything up the chain gets activated after the ground, if that makes sense. So it's working on getting your feet really connected to the ground. So we'll, we'll do a few with your right foot, a few with your left foot, and then we do a few with both feet on the ground where you're feeling completely stable. And then we start to add little instability pieces to it. But that's just working on balance and stability. Of course, there's a core element as well, because when you're when you're standing on one foot, you tend to get a little bit loose in your core. So the, the biggest thing with us is, is you hear me yell out of our shooters, you got to be vertically stable through your core, vertically stacked. So there's a vertical stacking element there as well. You'll hear me yell ears over shoulders, shoulders over hips. That's us trying to stay vertically stacked while you're going through the single leg shooting. There's a reason behind everything we do for sure. But you're talking about it as a training exercise, not necessarily to use it in the game, right? Like it's to build up your body. Listen, man, Stefan can use whatever he wants in the game because the rules don't apply to him. But (laughs) for the remainder of us, yeah, this is strictly a shooting activation tool. And it's also a place for us to locate when players have kind of had those micro injuries they have through the season where they, you know, they might've had a little ankle tweak or they might've had something that happened during the game that they really didn't notice, but there is some sort of residual effect there. It's a good place to notice those as well. But for us, we use it as a part of a shooting activation, specifically through the offseason. We, we use it as a big part of our shooting activation. I'm curious, you got a chance this summer to work out with Trey Young. And I know that you've had some workouts with Trey before, worked with him before. Mm-hmm. But I think it was August, Trey had tweeted out a series of photos from a workout with Steph and some others. But he said it was one hell of a week. And something tells me that word hell is probably (laughs) underlined in his head. (laughs) Yeah. First off, I don't like just throwing anybody in the workouts with Steph because they're very uncomfortable for somebody that's new. And it's not just all the different sequences and all the different process we go through. The the pace that Stefan works at is just incredible. And some of that's driven by me. But the biggest thing is, is he doesn't quit on things. And his pacing is is just incredible. So this year, you know, I think that Trey 
just wanted to get a feel, you know, cause I always kind of pushed it off. They'd asked about in the past. I was like, yeah, you know, if we, <laughs> if we get around to it, maybe <laughs> we all just happened to be in LA at the same time. His agent reached out to me and said, Hey, Trey would really like to work out with Steph one time. I said, well, let me come, let me shoot with Trey a few times before we put him in there and let's, Let's see where he is, and then you know we'll we'll go from there. Trey's one of the best players in the world, and you're like slow playing it. It's <laughs> oh just no, 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 no! Trey is one of the best players in the world. It's just the pace of the workout. I wanted to make sure that hey, the pace wasn't going to be too much for him. Wow! So Trey comes in, and to be honest with you, prior to this workout with Trey, I had Stefan shoot with AZ Fudd a few times. We worked out. She's obviously a great shooter at UConn. I believe Michael Ford shot with him once or twice prior to that, too. We're trying to find ways to get him excited about working out again because championship summers are different. <laughs> there's the SPs, there's this, there's that, there's the other. And so you don't really get all that excited about going in the gym with me yelling at you for 90 minutes when you just won a championship. He's already printing money. Now he's printing even more money. He doesn't want to hear me yell at him. So I'm looking for ways to get him excited. So I said, maybe if, you know, we bring in Trey, let's see if this gets him excited. Let's see if we get some energy out of him, man. We weren't in that workout three minutes. Stefan was moving like it was game seven of the NBA finals, man. <laughs> I looked at the guys rebounding. Me and I was like, I love Trey, but this might be a bumpy one for him in the beginning. And it was, but once Trey got used to the pace, he was great. He was perfectly fine. I think that initial two or three minutes was kind of like, oh, so this is what it feels like. And then, you know, Trey really got into it. And what was interesting to me, and I've noticed over the years, when Stefan has a chance to step into this teacher's role, talking to Trey about what we're doing, and he's saying, hey, we do this when we see this. And when he gets into that teacher's role, he kind of gets more excited as well. Hmm. He starts going even harder. He really enjoys that. And I think Trey really got a lot out of it because I saw Trey as that workout went on, he got better and better and better. And he was hanging on every word that Steph had to say. And I know he wasn't feeling great because it wasn't when normal people are like in game shape. <laughs> and it, it was a workout of you better be in, in more than game shape to get through it. And Trey fought and worked really hard and was very impressive as he went through that workout. He took a whole lot from it. I was extremely impressed by him. Stefan was too. But I mean, it's one of those things where the combination of the competitive nature of having another, you know, one of the other best players in the world in there with them. Trey was asking some really good questions, which I was extremely impressed by. Steph was giving him good answers. We've done a lot of workouts over the years. You referenced one with Luca and Jalen Green and Steph. I mean, that's that's a lot of talent in one room. Mm. We've done a lot, you know, with Michael Porter. We've had other players come in, but that one because I felt like both guys got so much out of it and they were both so impressive. The entire workout might've been my favorite workout too, that we've ever done just because you saw all those different elements, the teaching element, the learning element, the realization of all, oh, I do need to work at this pace. And then there was the competition of actually going through the shooting drills and the ball handling drills and me having to tell them, you know, you got to remind me to let you have water. Cause if you don't, I'm just going to keep going <laughs> that type of stuff. My tempo. <laughs> I felt like they both got a lot out of it and it was a really good time. I can imagine Trey, obviously Steph, someone he looks up to and I can imagine him consuming hours upon hours of film trying to master some of these things. But I never actually thought about it the other way, which is who does Steph watch? Because in 2007, when I was with the Suns, our uh, coaching staff and our video staff was part of Team USA. And Chris Paul at the time was on our video guys, give me every Steve Nash pick and roll, side pick and rolls, pick and rolls against the Blitz, over, under, every single imaginable Steve Nash pick and roll tape. Because in Chris Paul's mind, that's the guy who who unlocked the code, and I'm going to learn it. So who does Steph or did Steph watch in order to kind of elevate his game? Well, you just named one of them. Steve Nash was one, certainly. And so, so much of what we've done on the perimeter is take a lot of the same footwork concepts and spacing concepts that Steve Nash used when he was getting downhill, you know, getting to the basket after ball screen situations. We just took those same spacing concepts and we started doing them you know, 24, 25, 26 feet from the basket. One of the other players that I've heard Steph mention in the past that he really enjoyed watching was Reggie Miller. I have heard him talk, you know, that he enjoyed watching how Reggie got open and how he worked and how intelligent he was about using his body. Off-ball stuff. Off-ball yep. stuff. And, you know, Steph, one of the things he really prides himself on is the ability to create space on one side of the floor with his body to get the shot on the other side of the floor. And so was, I think some of that comes from Reggie. Obviously, he watched his father. For those of you that didn't get a chance to see Dell Curry, Dell Curry could absolutely fill it up from a shot-making standpoint. 
I know there's some guys I'm leaving out, but those are the ones that stand out in my mind that I've heard him talk about in the past is Steve Nash, Reggie Miller, and his dad. There's so many layers to this, like watching film on Steph. He always has these off-ball tricks or off-ball actions that completely befuddle the defense, but more so now than ever is just he's leveraging his three-point shot to such a degree that they're overplaying his three-point shot and these basket cuts that he's getting, backdoor cuts that he's getting from Kavan or Draymond, it just seems like Steph is so much more aware of the geography of not just his shot, but also how do I use everyone else's knowledge of my three-point shot to my advantage. So that off-ball stuff where he's pretending to go over the top of a screen off-ball and then just cutting back door, it just leaves everybody in the dust. So that's a lot of those 81% field goal attempts at the rim is just – there's three guys at the perimeter waiting for him to shoot a three and he's already at the rim. Well, you know, a lot of that has to do with over the years when you're, when you're not bigger, faster, stronger, right? You have to be really creative with how you create space and how you get open. Now he is bigger, faster, stronger, and he's taken all the things that he had to do before. And he's still doing those and doing them at a higher level. And you have a couple of guys that are just outstanding at seeing the floor in terms of how to deliver those passes and reading what he's going to do. Because if you saw, I think last night, there was one particular cut where it looked open, but he didn't want it at that time. And Jordan went ahead and threw it and Steph wasn't looking for the ball and it hit him in the shoulder. Steph actually wanted the ball in the corner when he got there. So it's just playing with guys you've played with for a long time and them understanding when you want the ball and how you want it delivered. That helps a lot too. And how they drill it, the way that they work on that stuff out there is very, is very creative. How they go from their three-on-three games to their five-on-five and back to three-on. They do a lot of small-sided stuff, small-sided stuff with rules, and then you go back to regular five-on-five, and you play small-sided three-on-three stuff with rules. When I say rules, like no dribble or no ball screen or you know the ball's got to get a paint touch or the ball has a reverse size at least one time before you can score. So he plays this three-on-three stuff, then they go to five-on-five, and it's just back and forth. It's very creative, and it forces you to move without the basketball. Now, you mentioned the first two to three minutes with Trey. You were really excited to see how he react. Can you give us what that two to three minute workout <laughs> looks like? Like what is in those three minutes? So we start after we've gone through our initial kind of shooting warm up. We never do anything from one range, but where we've done our alternating range form shooting, which for us is deep twos and semi deep threes. We work in that range we immediately go to corner to corner. We start running and you run for four shots at a time. Then when we have two guys going, you shoot four shots corner to corner, but we're playing until the first guy to hit 12. Well, if you're not making a lot of shots, there's a lot of running involved. It's corner to corner. Then we go to free throws. Then we go to something off the dribble. And so we were first going through that corner to corner stuff. It looked like somebody had thrown a heavy vest on Trey's back or something there for a minute or two. And then and then he kind of caught himself. After he caught himself, he was good. He was ready. He, was, he finished the entire workout. But that initial burst of that first few minutes was a little tough on him. But he, like I said, he recovered extremely well. I was very impressed by his toughness and his resilience that day for sure. Yeah, what's that Mike Tyson line? Like, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face? So they get punched in the face. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> there was a little bit of that right there. Like, oh, this is how fast we're moving. Yeah, we're moving. We're moving. But anytime we bring somebody in, that's the first thing we're looking at. We've had a player who's still in the NBA go through the first five minutes, sat down on the floor beside the door for about 30 seconds, stood up, went outside and threw up and was done. Oh, wow. (laughs) It's a good player, too. It's not a bad player. It's a good player. So that pace can be difficult for a lot of guys. What did Steph do when he saw the player do that? Like, he just straight up walked out. I mean, we just went back to working out. I mean, once you step off the floor, we're going to keep going. I have the people that are working with me, checking on the players and making sure he's okay. But, you know, we got a job to do. We got to get it done. (laughs) So that's why you got to slow play with with Trey Young. It's like, hey. I want to make sure when we do this that he's not going to do what that player did. (laughs) Don't kill him. (laughs) I also want the players to ask for that. I want the players to want it. I don't want the people around the players to want that. I want the player himself to want that. We get calls from agents all the time. Let them call me and I'll talk to them and make sure they really want to do it. I I hear it from you because I know you want to see it, but if they don't want to do it, it's not worth the effort. You know, if they want to do it, let's let's go. Do you ever get pushback from guys? Like, what is this bullshit? Or, you know, just 
not buy in? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, for us, there's an education process to what we're doing. And, you know, I'm not the guy that you call to get shots up on the weekend. There's a lot of guys that do that for you. There's a lot of guys that come in and shoot with you. For me, this is more of a long-term development thing. I'm not a big proponent of things can really change at a great deal in 72 hours. With Steph, I think that we've shown when you have longevity and and you work for years and years and years, you're able to stack gains on top of gains and, and you're able to create a system that you work from. And once that system is created, you're you're really able to accelerate your, your development. That's what this company is all about. That's what I'm all about. The one-off stuff is very difficult for me because there's so much learning that goes into just the base level of the stuff that we do. And if you don't have that knowledge before you get in there, you don't really understand what we're doing. But having said that, most of the time I just laugh at them and say, well, there's about $500 million, four championship rings, two MVPs, <laughs> a whole lot of all-star games and countless NBA records that would say we know what the hell we're doing here. If your resume looks like that, I'll listen to what you got to say. But if you don't, I don't care what the hell you think. <laughs> Brandon, has there been anything in this six and eight start? The Warriors are six and eight. I think they're six and one at home and zero oh and seven on the road. Yeah. Is there anything that you see body language or things that, he, that Steph has said that Ring some alarm bells to you, someone who's worked with him for a decade plus? No, I think that right now, I mean, there's a couple of things that they're really trying to work through, right? I mean, number one, you change that roster over a little bit. And anytime you change the roster, you, you've got guys stepping into unfamiliar roles or guys that are responsible to do things that they maybe weren't responsible for in the past. I think that defensively, they're struggling a little bit right now. I think that they're having a hard time staying in front of the ball. And when you have a hard time staying in front of the ball, two things happen. Number one, you foul a lot. When you foul a lot, you send teams to the free throw line. The one place on the court you can't defend is the free throw line. So there's teams that are that are getting massive free throw advantages over them. Number two, the ball gets in the middle of the paint a lot. And when you get the ball to the decision-making area, which is the circle around the nail, a whole lot of good things happen for the offense and a whole lot of bad things happen for the defense. You either get to that floater, you're dropping the ball off to the dunker, or you're kicking the ball to one side or the other for an open three. And when you let teams run their offense that way, it becomes very, very difficult to stop them. Defensive philosophy, in my opinion, and you know, I think we've had some success, but defensive philosophy is always based off of your limitations. And I think that as teams age, your limitations change. And sometimes it's hard to come to grips with the fact that there may be some new limitations that weren't there previously. The amount of ball pressure that you were able to put in the past might not be the same now. So you kind of got to look at being a little bit more of a a softer kind of corralling defense, almost like an NBA style pack line defense as opposed to a ball pressure defense. And when you when you get away from trying to pressure the ball, you can limit some of that dribble penetration. And when you limit the dribble penetration, the number of fouls you commit will start to go down and you won't have that free throw disparity that they have right now. in some of those losses, the Orlando game was ridiculous. That was just how many free throws Orlando shot in that game was it was incredible. But if you look at the makeup of that team, they have powerful, quick penetrating guards. And if you have a hard time staying in front of that, you're going to reach and foul a lot. And if you think about it, when the defense is constantly in transition in terms of, now I'm not talking about transition, running up down, I'm talking about transition going from help to recovery. There's a lot of exposure to fouls with that as well. So if people are having to help and they're having to recover in a certain way, and you're going from these really short closeout situations to long closeout situations, your ability to control your body goes down. So your foul count goes up. But that's all based off of dribble penetration, which is is going to be given up more if you're really pressuring the ball. So I think that as the season goes, they'll probably evolve a little bit and, and maybe give different looks defensively and get out of some of that ball pressure. It's got to be something that everybody on the team is comfortable with. I don't think that everybody's comfortable with, with getting away from ball pressure right now. And and they'll learn and they'll get better. But the younger guys stepping up and, and being a little bit more effective in their new roles is something that's, that's got to occur from them. And they will and things defensively have to get a little bit better for him. Well, there you have it. Steph Curry now averaging 31.5 points per game on get these shooting percentages. 52% from the floor, 43% from downtown, and 92% at the free throw line. That's right. Not just a 50-40-90 season. It is a 52-43-92 season on 31 points per game. And that right there, Brandon Payne of Accelerate Basketball, is one of the guys who has a hand in it. He's not going to take credit for it, but has been longtime Steph Curry trainer as well as other NBA players. 
And maybe uh, Trey Young will be back <laughs> after the summer workout. That, that seems like it was a good learning experience for him. So thanks for sharing those stories. No problem, guys. Thank you. I don't see you guys still don't see it's numerology. It's numbers. It's the power of numbers. Think about this, right? Last Friday was 11-11. Right. Clay Thompson, where's number 11? I was drafted in 2011. I was the number 11th pick. K is the 11th letter in the alphabet. I think 11 is just my life number. It just continues to follow me. I just think it's a great number. 11 for the win. He grew up in the 11th house on 11 Lane. Did you guys not see a connection here forming right before your very eyes? My favorite number is 11, and my first name is Tom. So, K, Thompson, this is all making sense. Motherfucker, I ain't seen you in the NBA. You're not aligned. He shot 231, 23.1% in that game on November 11th. Three minus two is one, and then the one left over makes 11. 11 times 21 is 231. Galaxy brain. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.